Yeah. And you really have to be very aware of different cultures might be an individual or a team. This is a superpower that like really needs a lot of practice, empathizing with the other person or the other team, with the other culture in general, right? And really trying to be open, like open as in things don't happen by the rules that you know. They like now it's a new playing ground, right? So now you have to find out the rules again. And these new rules are typically a mix of different old new rules, right? But this is a new reality that everybody has to work on because the world is becoming smaller. Welcome to the ProductQuest podcast. Thanks for joining us on our journey to better understand innovation and product strategy. My name is Scott Burleson and join me as always, my co-hosts Jan Vermouth and Jonathan Edwards. Today we welcome our very special guest, Bushra Josh Kuna. Bushra is an experienced product manager who is now founder of Product Deer. Uh, she coaches, mentors other product managers and helps companies to develop their product management function. In reading Booster's bios, I'm immediately attracted to that she is a practitioner first and coach mentor second. The product manager position is much better understood than it was even five or 10 years ago. And I personally appreciate the revolution that practitioner leaders, such as Booster, are leading the charge. And I have a lot of questions. Booster, <laughs> Josh Kuna, welcome to the Product Quest podcast. Thank you, Scott. That was an amazing introduction. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm humbled. Flushing. Well, we're excited. On now, top of my... the blush that I have on my cheeks. <laughs> Make up. <laughs> now, first question. On Twitter, you describe yourself as the bad girl of product management. So <laughs> Tell us a little more about that. What's the bad girl of product management? Oh, that's a good catch because I'm not using Twitter for like, I don't know. I think since Elon Musk happened, I'm, I've not been using it anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was the <clears throat> that was the um, latest update that I that I that I did before before I stopped using it. It was out of frustration because ah, why did I why did I write it? Let me, let me think. It had a reason. Yeah, and it was out of frustration because um, I used to, so w we just shortly talked about, right? I'm from Berlin originally. So I live in Switzerland, but I'm originally from Berlin. I am a person who calls things out. Mm. If it's bullshit, I call it out. If it's um, inappropriate, I call it out. If it's, if it's not realistic, I call it out. I, I just call it out. I might have, so now that I've been living in Switzerland for seven years, I might have developed a slightly polite way of calling things out. The Swiss but grinded I, you off a bit. Like. Yes, <laughs> it definitely did a bit. Um, but I still call things out. And when I argue also on the internet, I'm, like, I'm very active on LinkedIn, um, especially. Um, and when I have discussions, then I still say like what no this is bullshit like what you say doesn't make sense right and still while i'm doing that the only generalization i ever make is that generalizations are not realistic <laughs> right so no extremes are, are are reflecting reality 
Um, and this is really only a generali generalization that I that I make. And when somebody tries to argue with me on any kind of generalization or any kind of extreme, I call it out and I say like, look, generally speaking, maybe, but practically speaking, wrong. Because, uh, right? And I happen to get into very hard and harsh discussions from time to time. But I continue on that and, and, and I and I insist in saying this is bullshit. And that's why I call myself the bad girl of product <laughs> management, because I call it out and I will call it out. Right. <laughs> I love that. But that's really literally yeah. the only platform where I where I wrote this ever, right? So I'm a bad girl of product management manager. So maybe I should I should use this more often. Well, we do our research here, as you can see. Yeah, I do. <laughs> but I, I really found that interesting. And um, and also, but that was my next question about your no BS or no bullshit product management. You've also got that throughout your stuff. And yeah. we, we had a little talk prior to uh, turning on the recording about your background in Berlin and uh, how you live in Switzerland now. And I re that really does feel like that has those experiences could have some real practical benefits to you. I wonder if you could share a little bit more about how that directness and maybe sort of how your Swiss experiences as, as well have sort of contributed to your coaching style. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, we, we we just had, let's actually repeat the example that we had. So um, Jan, when you're in Switzerland and you ask for salt, how would you do that? It's hard. It. Yeah, it's hard to translate, but it would be something like, would you mind, uh, would you, well, maybe would you mind thinking about passing me the salt? Something like that. So there's a very, a very, please again. <laughs> please, I forgot to please again. I, 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 think <laughs> I need to, but, it, but it's a very, you have to kind of do it in a way, you cannot ask it directly. You have to kind yeah. of, would you mind passing me the salt, please? Or would you mind considering passing me this? Something like that, at, at the very least, you cannot be too, too, too. That would be considered impolite if you if you would do it too, kind of directly. So, And in Berlin, like Berlin is known for being extremely direct, extremely open, extremely like, like really hardcore, no bullshit style. And in, in Berlin, you would just, finger point to the to the salt and would say like salt yeah. <laughs> that's it <laughs> salt. that would be like super rude in switzerland, <laughs> in switzerland yeah extremely like rude right in berlin rude. this is just time efficient <laughs> yeah you don't spend too many words on something that people can understand right so you would just say like salt if you're polite you would say salt please <laughs> yeah. yeah and um but like as a this this was an exaggeration because they're less and less real Berliners in Berlin in, in Berlin so they're moving out and there are more and more other cultures um and coming into Berlin which is really nice right but that's a completely different topic um oh maybe not right because it's also anyways <laughs> it was just um touching the the product culture topic that we were also speaking about shortly um so in Berlin when you ask for salt, you would still like ask something like, you would say something like, can you pass the salt please? And then even this can is considered as impolite in Switzerland, right? So it, yeah. it's, it's very hard. It's really direct, right? Like, can you pass the salt? And please, if you're polite, right? And um, 
So there's this there's this part of me who who's really direct and open and really speaks out what it is without without any fluff and without any bullshit. And in 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 Berlin when I was working, the working culture or the communication culture when like at work is pretty similar or was I've been living here for for seven years so maybe things have changed in the meantime but back then before I moved here it was like pretty direct right like at work we would really not want to lose time and and I really mean it right it would it would be considered as losing time when you use lots of unnecessary um sentences if you could just come to the point right and they would really say like come to the point and they would literally call you out on coming to the point. Um, and then coming here, it was the exact opposite. So the first year I tried to I tried to work in, in Switzerland with my Berliner attitude and Berliner communication style of time efficiency, and it would not work. Right? So people would consider as consider you as rude, as impolite, and they would not want to work with you. And now you have to figure it out, right? So you come into a new culture and you have to figure out what's the best way of communication what's the best way of actually building relationships and building trust right trust is all about yeah. relationships about transparency about sharing knowledge exchanging and so on and so forth and, and you have to figure out how to build this trust based on the new culture that you that you meet yeah and this mix of actually Pointing things out. So this is this was the thing that I that I was missing, right? So after a year, I I I'll be very honest. I I was in a depression because I felt like, damn, I cannot work here because I cannot communicate because I'm the Berliner, right? So this is how I work. This is how I how I communicate. Until then, I found an international environment where it was more like a mix and it was okay. So that that's a different topic. But in a Swiss company, this doesn't work. And um, but then I I kind of understood. Okay, yes, you sh- you can still point things out, but you don't have to be super direct in in your face, right? And this is also the way how I write um uh, on my blog or on LinkedIn, right? So I call these things out and I continue doing that um, <clears throat> especially when things are harmful. So when are when they are not harmful, but just a it depends and I, I just add my my perspective to it, but when they are yeah. harmful, then I call them out. When I think like this is going to be really bad for any PM's career because this is simply wrong and harmful, then I call it out. But I do it in a not so um, yeah impolite way, not a not so offensive way, right? So that there's the other notion of of people on LinkedIn who who tend to be very offensive and be like, yeah. um, I don't know, all. Agile teams suck. Like, don't say that to any agile team. Like, who are you to 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 claim that yeah. agile teams suck? This is very personal, right? This is you're offending a group of people here. Like, how can you do that? Um, or agile is that? Oh, okay, agile is that. Hmm. <laughs> uh, let's let's leave it there. Agile is not that, but the way how like agile is the foundation of everything, but the way how um, agile has been transformed into a business and sold to companies and implemented is wrong and that way of doing agile is is that okay fine but here you again you see how i'm breaking up the generalization and i'm like 
look guys this is bullshit to say agile is dead because agile is not dead at all right um but there is a nuance that we have to talk about which is what agile became right and that this is what i mean like i'm calling things out but we don't have to do it in an offensive way we have to do it in a constructive way so that change can happen change does not happen um by being rude change happens i, I really like this inspiring I think people this is so important to kind of how can we find ways of bringing more nuance to the discussion, right? Kind of yeah. these two things, bringing more nuance to the discussion and not letting things just slide. So I yeah. sometimes have, sometimes I think I do this and then I regret it afterwards. I let things slide out of politeness, consideration, wrong ideas about whatever, but you shouldn't, you shouldn't let things slide, which are not helpful or even harmful. And then, and then it's hard to find a way of kind of, or I struggle with that kind of keeping myself to my own ideals and saying, no, you, if, if something is wrong, it's, you should, you should call this out. And, and, and I struggle with that sometimes, but I, I really love this time. Just trying to bring more nuance to the discussion. The, the benefits of this way of thinking for a product manager and also for a coach of product managers, as you are, I'm going to circle back around to that. They're, they're sort of ob- obvious to me, but I want to, I want us to explicitly talk about the sort of things I'm thinking, but before we get too far down that road, just yeah. what would be your definition of product management or what, what does a product manager do for folks that might not be <laughs> as familiar? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. And I will tell you in a nuanced answer that it depends. <laughs> of I know there's a, there's a hard line and hard uh, image of what product management should be. And I kind of agree with that image as in what it should be, but what it is at the moment is a different topic, right? And what it should be is, it should be the um, middle point of the interests of a company in what to do with a product. What I mean with that is um, there's this Venn diagram, right? Um, That Martin Erickson has actually um, shared a couple of years ago um, and um, it is it, it shows the intersection of business UX and tech right so and it, and, and based on that the, the product manager is in the middle and makes sure um, to check desirability usability and um, feasibility um, well no, uh, sorry viability usability and feasibility and now from my point of view, the fourth one is missing, which is the desirability. So from my point of view, the product manager needs to check all those four risks in order to do one thing. And that's what I what I promote. Like the product manager's job is just really one thing, which is making sure that the right thing is built. Okay. So the yeah. product manage product management function is a function if we let, let's call up or let's talk about functions first before we go into cross-functionality, right? So as a function, product management needs to make sure that the company builds the right thing. And when you ask me what the right thing is, then the right thing is something that we can make business with, like a product that we can make business with that customers love, right? So in the product management scene, there's this, this uh, notion of, Build products that customers love. This is what what product manager should focus on. And I say no. The product manager 
should focus on making business with products that customers love. And if we consider this sentence, make business with products that customers love, then we already automatically um, address all those four areas or four risks um, of viability, desirability, usability, and feasibility. Right? Mm -hmm. um, and this is what a product manager should do and product management function should do. And the product leader needs to set the way or right the, 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 ray, the, the way, the empowerment and so on so that the product team can figure it out what it is to build so that the company makes business with the products that customers love. This is my definition of what it should be. Now, what it is is a bit different. And now it comes to, it depends, right? And and I will not say this is bad. I will say this is the reality that we live in and we need to change it step by step. Or if we don't change it, because we can, the reality is we can't always change it, right? Then we have to make sure that um, product managers in their space, in their micro and their own macro environment can deliver to the goal to build the right thing the way they can in their environment. Right? Mm -hmm. And this can mean what? As an example, so we we'll go back to the ag agile teams, right? Now we go go to the cross-functional teams. When agile, when the agile movement started, then we created cross-functional teams, right? And this is the right way to 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 uh, to um to do. Um, and in this cross-functional team, if it's um embedded into a big complex corporate uh, machinery that actually is seeing agility only on the delivery space and is like, yeah, you know. Shit in, shit out, just faster on the market. <laughs> a lot of it, <laughs> and a lot of it. <laughs> um, that is the reality that is happening, right? And in this in this constellation, product management often is split into product management, and product ownership, where the product manager tries to um the, tries to to uh, reflect a a business function, uh, or not reflect um um represents business function and the product owner is kind of like the person who takes over requests requirements and so on and so forth and in their environment um handling or managing the product backlog together with the product manager that's the space where they need to find a way to make sure the right thing is being built so they it, it's not that they don't have any power it's just their power is limited and in their limited way they can use their power to make sure only things are built um that that are really necessary and, and, and needed but it's very difficult of course but there is some space in other functions or in other companies product management is still part of marketing for it and um, why i'm saying still is um, actually, looking at the history, there are two paths where product management comes from, right? So one path is the technical part, path where product ownership um, um, uh, arise and uh, arose and so on, right? Like with extreme programming, there was this role of the, the, the customer or um, the client, I think, I'm not 100% sure um, what's the name. And then with Scrum, uh, it turned into product owner um, and so on and so forth. And then there's the um, the the other path of of a marketing function um, that comes from brand management back from um, I think Procter and Gamble 
um, and where the brand manager was actually responsible for the for the um, four piece mix, right? So the product placement, promotion, and price. Um, and from there, in tech companies, um, the new role of the tech product manager actually um, kind of split up and started to take care of the product as one of the four Ps. And then by time, also about um, price, right? Some, it depends. Some big corporations, there's a whole department who takes care of pricing, right? But like in, in others, um, it's product manager who takes care of product and price. And and so uh, to conclude everything to a point, um, yes, what it should be is we need to make sure product manager makes sure we make business with products that, custom, uh, that customers love. On the other hand, it's not always possible at the moment because reality is different, right? Or not in that extent or in, in, in this um, way, um, of, of having autonomy and, and empowerment. So, can I can I jump in here? Maybe? So, is is there kind of do you purposefully say make business with something that customers love? Or so, w- what's the relationship kind of between those two things? Should they be balanced? Is the business balanced. coming first, or how? It depends. <laughs> <laughs> okay, boom. <laughs> um, it depends. So. Yes, the product team. Okay, then one step back. So typically coming from this history, we either tend to overfocus on the technical feasibility or overfocus on um the, mm. the of, of the viability, like on the business goals, right? Yeah. So the product function um is there to make sure we also focus on users, right? So this is where it came from. So we need to make sure that our customers are happy, that our users are happy, that they're satisfied, and we build something um, that addresses their needs. So this is where it comes from as well, right? Or why it's so, so important to have the product function. But now, and, and, and this is something that we have to keep in mind that Time changes, and with time, history changes, and with history, focus changes. Yeah. Right now, we either focus on tech or on business, but now is the time to bring it together through product, through users, and have everything in balance. That means, yes, we need to focus on business because we are not building products for a hobby, right? So this is a business. We make money with it. No money, no business. No business, no employment, um, no employment, no money for the employees, right? So um, it's it's yeah. it's all connected. It's a system. And if we do not consider the business part and we only build in order to make customers happy, then we get into the trap that we were in like 15 years ago or 10 years ago where, where it was all about hypergrowth, hypergrowth, hypergrowth. And um, people would say like, oh, we'll figure out the business model later, right? So 15 years, I don't know, right? And then it, it, it turned into like, okay, we need to start with business model to understand how we can make money because like the times where internet was new. Okay, I'm a German, I can say that. In Germany, Neuland. it's still new. Um, <laughs> yeah. Kind of, right? Um, but... Um, so basically, back then, when when internet was kind of new, we were able to allow 
these kind of thoughts, right? So we were still able to make money with advertising and so on and so forth. But now ads are not a sustainable business anymore. So now we need to have a good business model, right? And this this yeah. um, mindset shift um, happened like 10, 15 years ago that we really need business models. But still, everything was totally focused on, on hyper growth, right? Take VC money, put it into hyper growth, and then... Um, even if we make money, we don't have to be profitable from day one, which is also a way to go, right? It's not it's not bad. It's it's one reality. The other reality is we also have a lot lot of bootstrap companies. Yeah. Um, they are profitable from day one because otherwise they could not bootstrap it, right? They had to be profitable from day one. And there's a different way to go. And they think definitely business through product. And that's the magic, right? Business through product. How can you create a product that is so good, not only in the, in, in the user experience, but really solving a real problem, a real pain, right? Or serving a real desire, a real need that people want to pay even only for the value prop, even if the product itself doesn't even exist yet, right? Yeah. Just paying for the value prop because they are, they are, thinking of solving a specific problem that is so painful that people are looking for a solution. And if you take this mindset, and as you can hear, I'm totally a bootstrapper, although I, I work the majority of my life for, for uh, investor-driven company or VC-backed companies, right? Um, but I I love this, this, this thought of build something that is serving such a big need that people want to pay for it. It's an automatic validation. You're onto something, right? Yeah. And you can make business with it. Boom. And there we go. And we automatically have the balance. Yeah. Sounds easier than it is. It's really difficult. It's really, yeah. really difficult. <laughs> um, but this is the way that we need to go, especially now, right? With the with with all the frozen money in the market. Um, we really need to we really need to find the ways how we can money make money with the product without scanning the users or customers but actually with serving them so basically go back to how business was done uh in the past for <laughs> i mean people were doing i mean the, the basic idea exactly. that you know you need to sell something and make money i think uh you know has been a reality for since forever Yes. And as you mentioned, it's only recently that this idea of, okay, we just need to gain traction, put a lot of money in ga gaining users, and then we'll figure out a way to monetize. I think this is quite a, a new phenomenon, or at least like in the past yeah. 15 years, 20 years. Yeah. yeah. Very classic physical product selling, right? So if I want to sell a shampoo, then I need to make sure that it's covering costs. And it's also um, adding on top of it, so that we have a big margin so that we can actually um, continue running the business and actually paying salaries, right? So, totally, yeah. yeah. One of the themes that I hear, and then I'm, I'm gonna get around to why I really feel like I, I appreciate this sort of this sort of cultural, your different backgrounds there and how you, and how that, it's it's obvious or it's clear to me how that's very useful, but, but the theme that I heard as I was just sort of taking some notes is balance. You have the balance uh, because within a company, you get folks in silos. So folks in engineering, they're not typically thinking so much about how big is the market. They're just solving this. They're just executing. They're just building something. 
And on the other side, on the marketing, you know, they're thinking about, well, how do we get more money? This they're not thinking so much. About, they're just literally in their own world. And maybe that's maybe that's why this this uh, Venn diagram persists so much. I love sort of how you elaborate on it. But anyway, at least as a framework, because there's the poor product manager in the middle trying to make sure all these different functions that are in silos are working together to your point. Yeah you know, building products, people like that enjoy that support the business and that address a need so big that the, the pricing sort of takes care of itself. It's sort of funny when you have pricing departments and you're like, hey, you know, uh, go get more price for this. Well, I mean, it's, if it was that simple, well, yeah, okay, go increase the price. I mean, that, that there's, it's, it's more complicated. Yeah. I will <laughs> disappoint you. Most of the time it is easy to increase the price. Oh, well, hey. <laughs> yeah. That's well, but that's even even that's interesting because that's probably built on a presumption that when we don't really know what the we don't really know the we don't understand how big the problem is, the customer problem is. Exactly. So we might be undershooting it. Yeah. Exactly. And pricing is one part of the business model, right? So um it's 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 about taking care of the whole business model as a product manager. So you have to think about ways um or let, let's put it this way, what, what's part of the business model? There are multiple things, but among others, there's also the notion of um, revenue streams, right? So pricing is one thing, but then you have to think yeah. about pricing for what, right? Yeah. Is it going to be a one-off sale? Is it going to be a subscription? Is there a combination of that? Um, is it going to have a trial? Is it going to be a freemium uh, model, right? So, um. I don't know. Is it coupled with um, with offline experience? Kind of, kind of. Um, I, I I buy something offline and I have a QR code so that can have an additional subscription on that, right? So, for example, um, diapers, right? So <laughs> you can have a diaper subscription. I know that I have a little kid. <laughs> you can have that, right? Um, it's it's about the business model. What are the revenue streams? Um, and also the costs, right? So what are the costs to those revenue streams? Um, and how can I create a business model that covers channels, costs, um, revenue streams, way of monetization, um, but also leverage of uh, unpaid uh, uh, recommendations, right? Um, meaning virality, network effects is also part of, mon- of, of the business model. Uh, Doodle, the, uh, Doodle was the last employer, was my last employer before before I went um, um, uh, independent. Um, there as well, Doodle is a classic example of leveraging network effects, right? I sent a poll to the three of you and immediately you get in touch with, um, with Doodle and are like, oh, this is super cool. And you start using it, right? Like this is part of a business model. It's yes. User, uh, um, user experience. Yes, it's kind of also um, product experience as an end-to-end thing, um, also from the, from the internal view, right? So how do we make sure that the systems work in a way that really use, we get the right call and so on and so forth, but it's also part of the business model because this way we can grow. So also, of course, when I mentioned growth, it's also a channel, right? Growth channel, also marketing channel. Um, and and Doodle, for example, using ads, ad placements, it's a, it's a revenue channel. So the three of you 
see the ads that are on the free Doodle page, right? And Doodle makes revenue with it or makes money with it. On the on the other side, um, you see the cool premium features and you're like, hey, I want to get a subscription and boom, um, Doodle gets um, subscription uh, revenue, right? So it's all part of the business model. And as a product manager, you have to think about that. The business model, my brain just sort of explodes because it seems like there could be so many seemingly valid sounding options. Yep. It's like so <laughs> so which just describe a couple extremes, you know, one a freemium, and then you get them hooked, and maybe you have ads, and then ultimately you're gonna, you know, upsell them. A complete opposite, uh, you know, where it's just it's just all sales led and it's a big thing. And and you could make uh somebody could make an impassioned, rational case for these completely different, and those are I'm extra I'm describing opposites. And there's all and there's all these other moving pieces. How in the world does a product man and it seems like a product manager is gonna have a tough time of it because there it might be things the pricing department's supposed to do this and marketing's supposed to do this. And so it seems like it could be lost where you, you really need this cohesive strategy that can only happen if you get and it can't happen if all these pieces are making individual decisions. As a product manager, how, yeah. how do you navigate that? <laughs> the other very difficult questions <laughs> and very difficult things to do and you cannot master it like i'll be honest like every product manager will fail uh on on, on mastering it because it's, it's just too difficult you can just um do your best and yeah. there are different techniques and, and and ways to the to to do this um so <laughs> there's a um what was it site count keep saying um um all frameworks are wrong, but some are useful. And I'm the opposite of, yeah. of well, I'm not exactly the opposite. I said, never talk in extremes, right? Um, I believe frameworks, yeah, they're, they're probably not right, but they're, they're but they're helpful in, in getting started. And then you can adjust them to your reality to make them right. And there are some frameworks that, that help you to keep this alignment or to create this alignment, to keep this alignment. My, most favorite one is the impact mapping that basically really connects the business goal with the target target group or or the the audience that you need to consider in order to achieve the, the business goal so it could be also like an internal group of people or whatever and and then there out the outcomes that these um people try to to achieve and then only then think about the the deliverables basically the ideas that help you to actually um, achieve those two levels of goals right so this is yeah. a way that that or this is a, the framework that helps you to to um wrap your mind around the whole connection and the whole alignment you can use it in a visual way to actually keep your organization aligned um but this is just one framework right so let me let me take the first principles of this of this framework mm. and let's try to apply it to product reality so the first principles of this framework say you need to be you need to understand the business goal of um, the product so basically it's the strategic level so what are we trying to achieve for example this year right so in the beginning of a year um you you set targets right you set targets of, of the year and you you, you try to align with your company on those targets okay this is what everybody has to work 
then you need to understand the, your focus for that year. Who do we need to focus on to achieve this this um, this uh, business goal, right? And this is also an exercise where you, as a product manager, have to get like different views. So different stakeholders will have different targets uh, or, or target groups to address with with the changes. And again, it might be internal as well, right? So the marketing team might work on on improving their own processes so that, that they can run um, um, ads more efficiently, for example, whatever, right? Um, um, so everybody has their own target groups in their mind. So you have to make sure that these align, then you have to understand every target group's goals, why they are focusing on that and why they believe um, that the actions that they want to do or that the uh, goals they have in mind um, will support the business goal. And then based on that, you you can go back to your team and, and think about what you can do um, to, to either leverage their goals, their achievements, or actually what your goals are and who you should target um, and and what you need to do to to achieve your goals, right? Now this sounded a bit like secondary, so you should not do it as secondary after you've talked to the others. So you should have your own opinion based on evidence, data, insights that you have um, that you can leverage from from analytics, from discovery, from interviews. Um, and I know that you guys are totally on the jobs to be done side, so. One of my most favorite I think that's in- interview techniques. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that's also one of my most favorite interview techniques, jobs to be done technique, because it, this is another framework that actually helps align across across um, functions, right? Because when you when you understand a a customer's journey, like what made them actually s- uh, switch to this product, what do they what did they experience before um, they switched? Um, what was their situation? What was their context? Even like very small things, like what did they Google for, right? All these little information, like these little pieces of information help actually align across teams to have at least an, the same understanding of what made a user switch and become your customer, right? So even that, so there are lots of different techniques that actually help you to align with other functions. But you have to do it together with them, or you have to provide in, uh, access to the insights, right? So it's about active communication. And that's one of the most important skills that um, product managers need to have. They need to be good at c- communication, mm. right? proactive yeah. communication, over communication, um, communicating with very simple words so that really everybody understands it, right? Idiot proof. I called out, make it idiot proof because yes, you have idiots in your company. Um, don't want to offend anyone, but that's reality. We all have idiots in the company, right? So, and you have to make sure um, you address it in a in a way or you communicate um, insights, decisions, results, analytics, evidence, whatever you do in a way that everybody understands it. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, and then coming back to the first principles, so these are the pieces that you need to make sure that everybody's aware of. So empathizing with the target group, empathizing with the business goal, empathizing with um, the product goal, empathizing with the target group's goal, and only then talk about ideas. <laughs> mm-hmm. Reality is, now let's come back to the no bullshit point. Reality is we start with the ideas. Everybody has an opinion. Everybody has an idea of what they believe is going to be the killer feature 
in the next round and the next release this is going to make us millions and and, and billions and gazillions and whatever um and then you have to work your way through it right so you can you can reverse the conversation and be like hey um yes sure let's do this let's let me try to understand like when we have built this feature what's your expectation right so ah you ask for the goals so, right so your goals with this with this feature ah okay your expectations can we say that um if we wanted to measure success the outcome would look like mm -hmm, boom you have the outcome you have a success metric and then you have a better idea of what they were actually trying to do right so asking for the problem without asking for the problem they're trying to solve um and then you can come back with different ideas on how to solve their problem actually and how to help them achieve their outcome right so there, there are ways of, of handling it, but it's important to really um, make this alignment. Now I will add another layer of it depends on this. <laughs> so this is the it depends of the it depends of the it depends. <laughs> um, <laughs> it depends on the company size. Yeah. Right? When I started at Doodle, we were 35 people. We just needed a lunch with everybody and then we could align on everything exaggerating on on, on on how simple it is right it, but you, you get it it's a metaphor um when i left we were uh, i think about 100 and it was already like quite difficult to get an alignment because we had those functions and we had those focus points it was not only about those three four cross-functional teams um that would all uh, here and there um, align with some functional teams to get their help or whatever. It would be like sales team, marketing team, PR, um, um, engineers, agile code, well, no, not agile coaches, but um, product managers, whatever, right? So there, there were functions and now we had to cross-functionally <laughs> break those functions <laughs> somehow, right? And it's already a different layer. And then we were only a thousand yet. Now think about a company of a uh, hundred and, and think about a company that are a thousand, like 10,000 people. There you have this difference between pricing department, marketing department, what? Pricing department, SEO department, not person, department, um, SEM department, social media department, it's almost departments, right? It's not all, even teams anymore. It's they are the teams are so big that they are almost departments, and that's a completely different topic. Yeah, right. I, and I, there, I can't give you any answer of how to do it. You just have to make sure you find the right. Uh, I was hoping there exactly <laughs> because I feel like there all the points. I just want to stretch this. I think all the points you made. I think is the larger the company gets. I think the more important is that kind of foolproof communication and that's as super difficult because because suddenly you are in a situation where either you use a framework and framework uses one kind of jargon so they call things a different so they, they talk about revenue streams or they talk about jobs or like it doesn't matter but whatever framework or tool you use it has a different they use certain words yeah. and whenever you try to use that or then bring it out into your organization or even insights from a study or whatever it's super difficult to control what people, what people, what will people think when they read that word? And that's 
is like depends so heavily on on yeah. the company and the bigger the company is the, for me at least the harder it is to kind of control this it's it's and i would have loved if you would never said, okay now in big companies super easy it's just three kind of three pieces of advice here's how you can control hacks. oh that four hacks so too. good the four hacks exactly like, simple product <laughs> management yeah, simple, I, would, I would call this person out. <laughs> this magic framework works all the time. Yeah, yeah but so, yeah, I yeah. mean, then suddenly these things get, get thrown around in the company, kind of it makes the tour, and then a couple of hundred people have seen it and it comes back and it, mean, it can mean a completely different thing. So it's it's very like these, Even, I think we call it Chinese whispers or what, or telephone game kind of thing where yeah. just stuff gets passed around, it comes back and it, it changed. Like So that's very hard to control, I think. Let me give you an anecdote on this. I will not. I will not um, mention the company's name, but one company that I worked for it was really a global company with a couple of thousands employees. I made a, a, a presentation. I, I was in their commercial management team, and I made a presentation. Um, <laughs> I sent it to someone. It was kind of a um, support for the sales team for, for um, selling the product that we were working on. And I think a couple of weeks later, and it was a really good presentation, I have, I have to say, right? So nobody was able to make such good PowerPoint presentations that, that, that I, and I was surprised that it was this way, but it was like that. And um, a couple of weeks later, I received a presentation from some other sales department that were, trying to sell a different product or something completely different um and they would use this accent as an example of how to prepare a um sales um uh, document to help the sales team and guess what half of the presentation was mine <laughs> i was like okay thank you guys you explained me with my own slides how i should create a sales presentation thank you yeah. <laughs> Right. So yeah, and another same same company um, regarding um, who means what when they say what. Right. So we even had like um, an abbreviations list per team because the same abbreviation in a different team could mean something else. That's yeah. That's difficult to manage. Big thing I yes. I really take away from that is just this ability, this communication, over communicating. Yeah. Um, but you also said, but but you also said you know, to still maintain your own position. So what I sort of imagine is it's like you sort you're communicating, you're maintaining your own position, but not necessarily trying to get your way. If that that's something different. If that if that makes sense. Um, I don't know, but the it it definitely occurs to me when you were when you were talking about how you you sort of have this, um directness about you let's say but also over time you've learned to present things a little softer uh you, you sort of altered your approach a little <laughs> bit um because if you're not careful like the whole team can go off base and sometimes everybody knows it like every like you can it's just like watching and you're familiar with the movie um austin powers you remember austin yeah. powers you remember when the steamroller's coming real slow <laughs> and the guy's like ah and he's just like, mm, we're coming toward. Ah, so everybody sees this disaster, but some, but somebody has to, somebody has to stand up and say, no, this is BS. Like this is, this is, this thing's going in the wrong direction. 
Um, but yet that had, but yet. And you need to be very careful with that, right? Because never forget politics. Yeah. I mean, somebody, if it's going the wrong direction, it was somebody's idea to make it go that direction. And um, as a product manager, you will step on everybody's toes eventually. And so you get really good at apologizing, <laughs> apologizing <laughs> and softening things up. And and you talked about building trust. That seems that seems key also. The yeah. other thing I wanted to build up the, or to elaborate on what you said is that you have your set of frameworks, your set of tools. But if I can paraphrase a little bit. Um, it sounds like you you don't feel the need to use them sort of religiously or like you sort of you said your words you back up to first principles what's this thing trying to accomplish and so you're not you're not adhering to a tool so rigidly and maybe that's a yeah. maybe that resonates with me because yeah. pragmatic over dogmatic as i say yeah, it seems like product managers can be a little guilty of this. We use this process <laughs> for this. We use this, and almost like these are magic spells that just do things. You know, I think as a as a as a group, we can be yeah. we can be guilty of that. It depends, right? So, again, <laughs> here you go. Um, <laughs> um, I think uh, there's this concept of of shuari in in the agile um, uh, way of working, right? So, in 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 general. Um, Okay, <laughs> let's remove all the all the buzzwords. Let's just say, um, when you start working in a specific way, it's always good to have some starting point. And I yeah. see frameworks as a starting point that help you to get, to get set up on something that you've not um, been familiar with until then, right? That is new to you probably, or maybe it's not completely new to you, but you're not all in this team, in this constellation, in this team, in the constellation, with the product, with this company, with these customers, in this market, it's a unique situation always, right? Like as soon as you switch a team, it's already another unique situation. And then you need to start from somewhere. And the framework can help you to start from somewhere and then you learn how the framework works in your situation, but at the same time, you also learn how the framework does not work in your situation, right? So when does it work? When does it not work? Um, where do we need to adjust the framework to our needs? When do we need to adjust us to the framework? And you, and this is what we call experience, right? So you build yeah. up experience yeah. using this framework in your unique situation. And then it needs a good team discussion. It needs good common sense, good evaluation to then decide together if you want to adapt to the process or if you want to adapt the process to you. I really so like don't be this. too dogmatic with the process. I love it. I've I've stolen this as well. I don't know who from, but but the, kind of the, the best frameworks are those that you build yourself. Like so, <laughs> you start somewhere. You might take a framework and then and then because that's give security and at least there is a, or a sense of hey this is a process i know the steps but then i i completely agree you have to tweak and change it otherwise it's it's trying to make reality fit the framework is not a good approach i yeah. believe it should be yeah. kind of the other way around and it only goes so far i mean certain yeah. frameworks help in a certain situation and they don't in others and, then, and exactly. that's exactly fine and what you should also do instead of avoiding it, you should actively mesh the frameworks. You should blend them. My most fam- favorite blend 
is the impact map with the opportunity solution tree. You start with the impact map, break it down to the outcomes level, which is the product outcome in the opportunity solution tree. And then you go out and find all the opportunities under the outcome and only then ideate the solutions per opportunity, right? Instead of jumping from outcome to solution. So yeah. it's a blend. It's And it's, it's wonderful. It's beautiful. <laughs> So as you can see, I'm like, I can be very excited about, about um, <laughs> connecting the dots, right? <laughs> I was very curious about also, it. Sorry, go and ahead. All, and, yeah, and then also like when you have the ideas on the on the impact map level, um, the original impact map continues on the story level. So from the idea of from the deliverables, you move it to delivery, right? So you, you, you deliver on the ideas. Um, but instead of that, you can actually make a blend of stories, experiments, hypotheses, mm. and research, right? So because there are items or there are ideas you know you want to build because I don't, you have enough evidence, you have enough confidence, whatever, um, enough science that, that, that show you that this is going to have good impact on product and business goals. That's the main goal of the impact map, right? Have an find the ideas that have an impact on product and business goals, or user and business goals. Um, and then when you have enough evidence, then you can you can of course uh, plan um, to build it some somewhere in your backlog, right? Um, if you don't, you need more confidence. Then you need more insights, right? So you need to do some more research, some experiments. Um, Adding in lean startup, build, measure, learn to run some experiments and see um, if there's meat um, on on the idea, right? And um, yeah, and this way you can you can actually organize your your ideas, either product backlog or sprint backlog depends, right? And you you can prioritize your your backlog based on the information that you get from 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 that level. So again, it's it's a blend, right? So we are blending here. We are blending concepts, yeah. we're blend, blending frameworks. And that's what yeah. I, I mean with first principles thinking. Why do we use this framework? What is this framework good for? This is this is what you should ask yourself, right? What it is what is it good for? What's the goal of this framework? And then what's the um thought process behind this framework? What are the single pieces of this framework and how can I make sure that I reduce uncertainty of this piece of this framework? Oh, there's another framework. I can use that for that, right? So blend it, make it yours. Yeah. I know something people are curious about, or by people, maybe I mean me. Um, <laughs> it's, it's sort of your short, I was sort of keeping notes of the of the tools in your box. And a few, three that I definitely heard, this impact map, lean startup, jobs to be done, interviews, you don't have to go into detail unless you just want to, but what what's just what else is on your short list list of, of like the tools that you regularly go to? Yeah, so opportunity solution tree is one that I mentioned. Opportunity um, solution tree. Is that yeah. Teresa Torres? Yes. Exactly. Okay. And pirate metrics. What was sure. the last one? Pirate metrics. I'm not, I'm not familiar with that. The, the pirate metrics. So pirate. this is um oh. this is uh the the metrics that are that are used for a lot of what is called product-led growth, I guess. Yes and no. So um so pirate metrics again, has nothing to do with setting thing. things on fire. Is that right? 
Well, no, if you're pirate. on fire, you're on fire. <laughs> not pyro. Oh, oh. I'm a pyro. Pirate. No pirate. It's, 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 a, it's, so the, the yeah. So the um abri uh, the uh, what is it acronym abbreviation? I don't know the what what is the English. <laughs> yeah. What what does what mean? Anyways, so it's um A A R R R. Acquisition, activation, retention, referral, revenue, or short A A R R R. Or with my best pirate voice, it's R, and that's why it's called pirate metrics. That's pirate metrics. Oh, yeah, that's a that's a framework by. Oh, because the pirates do R. Yeah, that's yeah. I never, I never, I never made that connection. That is so fun. That's the reason why. I thought it was more interesting when I thought it had to do with setting things on fire, but pirate pirates are good too. So now, whenever you see a pirate, you will remember me. Excellent. <laughs> Impact map, lean startup, jobs you've done interviews, opportunity solution tree, and pirate metrics. Those are your and, and let tools. me get back to yeah. So there are there are a couple more like the goals, signals, metrics. Um, I'm a very um data informed person and evidence um based decision making person. And um, there's a goals, signals, metrics, and goals, questions, metrics framework that I um use very often. North Star metric, one of my favorite ones it's it, a, a, a nice north star uh, metric tree can be so beautiful <laughs> and i'm not sure if you ever thought about someone saying beautiful to a metric tree but it is um oh also uh, yeah metrics tree in general like kpi trees how to break them down and so on so it's also part of my tool set um and what else? There are different prioritization techniques um, that you can use. I see prioritization techniques in general as some sort of weighted um, um, scorecard. Weight. What? How, how do you pronounce that word? <laughs> I think it sounds alright. Yeah, that <laughs> a scorecard. You know, like um, yeah. when you have um, the criteria and then you rate those criteria. And if it's the rice method, the pie, the pies, the impact effort, whatever it is, it's all about rating your stuff and then giving it a number. And you should be careful with that. It has its place, but it's not like really scientific way of, of, of um, prioritizing things. Um, uh, lean canvas. Actually, it's a mix of, so whenever I start working on a new product, it's a mix of lean canvas, business model canvas, and value proposition canvas. It's a mix of that. Um, and I'm by now not so dogmatic about filling out everything. It's more like in my head, like checking those um, boxes. Have I thought about this? Have I thought about that? Et cetera, et cetera. And sometimes if I can't keep it in my mind, I really put it down on, on the lean canvas to make sure I thought about everything um, and then I use an assumption map to basically map the most risky pieces of my whole um, uh, concept so um, I use lean canvas more to find the right solution for the right problem then I use the business model canvas to make sure I have thought about all the pieces of the business model um, and before that, I use the value proposition canvas to make sure I can empathize well with um, the um, persona that I'm creating the um, product for. So it's kind of like a mix of those three. Um, 
But I also wanted to go back to um, Jonathan's point about um, product-led growth and, and pirate metrics. Um, so I, you mentioned like this is the, the framework that you use in, in, in product-led growth. And it's a bit like yes and no. Um, so pirate metrics, the, the, the original framework um, is been used as a um, funnel. And it comes from marketing, and it goes like 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 the idea is that a a um, person, a human, I don't want to call them leads or whatever, but a human goes through um, those five steps, and the steps can be a bit different depending on on your product, right? So it might be revenue first and retention after that, for example. Kevin like that, um, and then they go straight through this funnel. In product terms, we know it's like no user experience is a funnel. User experience is some sort of flow. I love thinking in trees, so I would think of a tree or really as a flow that also closes some loops. Right? And um, if we want to see it as a loop, then we can start with the pirate metrics. Um, but it's more like when we go into the product-led growth area, it's more than that. So we also have to think about habit moments, um, not only activation moments, but also habit moments. Like how do we create a habit so that actually the, the person really comes back and, and uses it and only then to retention mode, for example. Um, the word of engagement is is, is important, um, right? So in the pirate metrics, the word engagement doesn't exist because it's it's some, somewhere between activation and retention. But if you want to have a look at it like very concretely, and now we get to the point of make it yours, right? You can adjust this flow and be like, okay, if we want to create engagement, we need to get them somewhere from here to there, right? Somehow we need to get them from here to there so that they keep engaging. There we talked about the habit months and so on and so forth. But then there's also the um flywheel concept and I'm not super familiar with that one I'm not very deep into that um, I'm not a product-led growth expert it's kind of um, a, a growth model right so it's a growth model so just, um, it's, it's kind of a channel it's a way how to how to get more um, leads and customers um, and keep them um, and then I will get back to the first principles thinking that everything is somehow similar. Um, so we have the pirate metrics that, that are concerned with acquisition, activation, retention, referral, revenue. We also have the concept of, um, I'm not sure if you have read um, um, Gibson Biddle's medium article on product strategy, mm -hmm. but but he 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 says um, first of all you need to make a strategic decision between three things growth engagement and monetization he calls it the gem model so growth is acquisition and um, referral on the pirate metrics engagement is somewhere between activation and retention and monetization is revenue right so first principle thinking again. On the other hand, before he made the gem model famous, in general, when you create a strategy, you 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 think about okay, um, this year is it about um, growth? Um, um, sorry, about adoption, which is growth. Is it about retention, which is some sort of engagement, 
or is it about revenue, which is monetization? And it 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 maps to the gem model of of Gibson, though, right? So it, it's all kind of the same and and have a different name. Overall, you have to think about these three aspects. Do I want to get more people using my product? Do I want to keep the people using my product, or do I want to make sure we make good money with the product that people are using, right? And you have to find that, that balance. And, and and using the pirate metrics or on the more strategic level, the jam model or however you want to call it, like the first mm. principles of that, you make the decision where you want to focus. And based on that, you can also set priorities in the backlog, right? So basically rule out everything that does not support this year's focus, for example. What was the author of the gym article? Um, Gibson Biddle, ex um, the product of Netflix. Uh, one more time, sorry. Gibson Gibbs Biddle. Gib I can send you the link. Yeah, that'd be good. That'd be helpful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a good one. Well, you certainly have a very comprehensive <laughs> set of tools in your box that you pull from. Um, Again, it's rather the first principles, right? You start with that, and then at one point, it's so much in your DNA that you pull the good pieces of all the different frameworks that you have in your tool set and then put them or use them in the situation, whatever, like however you need them, right? And this is also, by the way, one of the reasons why why um, um, product managers strategists approach me for my coaching because they see in my, in my um, content that I'm breaking down these these um theories and frameworks in a way that they can apply them in the daily practice and then um yeah there's no bullshit thing right so okay theory nice but how do we make it work this actionable um advice and tips and tricks as well like how do you tweak it to make it work for your situation and some people don't know how to actually um tweak it yeah how to break it down this process and, of breaking down. And and in your experience, how much leverage do PMs have in companies regarding because we're talking about fairly deep strategic things and going quite deep into how the business works, into how the product works. Um, how much leverage in your experience do you think PMs have? Because I, I have heard here and there that um a lot of PMs will 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 say that basically they are in the middle of uh, of all sorts of different interactions and teams and they don't really have any leverage to change anything and what's your uh, take on that and what would you recommend to a pm to be able to make these kinds of changes so we have again different um levels right we have the product leadership and we have the product management and product leadership is in the battlefield of politics. Um, and product leadership has to make sure that everybody's aligned on the higher level, right? And that also means that product leadership is um, the level where you can have big leverage um, regarding how you work and how decisions are made to build the right thing. I mentioned in the very beginning that's the main thing right build the right thing 
and it's a it's a minefield and battlefield and and product leadership has to make sure to navigate this field so that actually um there is enough trust so that the product team can either make the decision or suggest the decision and then on the other side we have the product team on the tactical level so so they are the ones who actually um, execute on everything right and execute does not necessarily only mean delivery it's execution on strategy execution on on um, uh, discovery execution on delivery so they are executing but that's product execution right and if they want to build a and then it depends again on on, on the company so they are product-led or product-driven companies um, where everybody's aligned on um, the impact of the product on the market. So it does not mean product management um, decides what needs to be done. It means everybody's pulling the same direction to make big impact with the product on the market. That's what product-driven means, right? And in this kind of companies, it, it's it's easier to have this impact. Um, and it's easier to, to, to um, make other departments hear what you say so it doesn't mean that they have to agree or follow what you say but it's easier than compared to not product driven companies because they're typically um people and departments have their own agenda right they have their own goals and now it becomes interesting when you are a product manager on a on a tactical level now there are one option is um you don't try to change anything and you just take the money and go home <laughs> right so, and, and it's fine i don't want to yeah. say that this is a bad thing we live in a world where we have to be employed or if we are not employed um so let me take this back because i'm not employed <laughs> but we have we have to make money to live no money no life that's that's a system that we live in so it is okay to be that person who says like fuck it i don't care i just go go to work have my get my get my salary and go back and i i enjoy the rest of my 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 free time right i wished and i'll be very honest with you i wished i was this kind of a person <laughs> i really wished it and i really mean it there's no sarcasm or no way of trying to justify this way of living I truly say I wish I was this kind of person. I am not, and that's one of the reasons why I said I'm 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 um I'm I'm doing my own thing. <laughs> and also one of the reasons why I'm trying to change the way how how companies work and our product teams work. Um and that's the second option. You are not that kind of a person and you really want to change something. Again, micro and macro environment. You can always start with your micro environment. So the team that you're working together with, you will always work in restrictions. There is no reality with um, where, where, where you have no restrictions, right? This doesn't exist. You always have restrictions. So in the restrictions that you have, what can you do? What is in your control? What is something that you can influence? And what is out of your control? Right. Um, and there it depends. So, an example: <clears throat> you can come together with your cross-functional team or with a functional team. It doesn't matter, and make enough pressure on the management side to change 
things in a way so that you have more freedom or, or room. It's not about freedom, but more room and more space to to um, run small experiments on your website. B2B difficult, but B2C in a traffic heavy um, space. Why not? It's it's not so difficult. You need some tools, yes, and then you need to approve it, yes, but then it's not so difficult. Um, other example, so these are all from, from real life, from my own experience, yeah. Other ex other example, um, you you work in a in a company where you as a product manager have to um, pick up all the skills that are missing in your team and have to basically compensate for that. What's the consequence? The consequence is you cannot do your own job well because you have to do the other pieces that are missing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what can you do? For example, in a company where there is no concept of a tech lead, you can pick the person that you think is a natural alpha in your team and just have conversations as if it was a tech lead um, without excluding the others, but like kind of like step by step getting the others into the mood that it's actually a good idea if they don't have to be in all of the discussions, you know. Um, and then at one point, go to your manager and be like, um, look, this guy and I and our designer as a trio, we did, we uh, our suggestion is X, Y, Z. Without saying that it's a tech lead, right? And then at one point, they will see, ah, it's actually not a bad idea to have a tech lead. And then they will introduce a tech lead to the other teams as a role. And maybe the person in your team that you have defined as your tech lead without defining it officially, um, suddenly becomes officially the tech lead and gets a promotion. Great, right? So you can change things in your micro environment, show instead of tell, right? You show that it works mm. and convince your adjacent environment that it's a good idea. Another example, you don't have a user researcher as a role in your company or as a function in your company. And the product designers are doing research and design, which is a lot for a designer. And then you have someone in a team who's really good at user research. And then you show the first results of a user research and make decisions based on, based on that. And you show that it was a good decision. It was successful. Right, the the change that you made was successful, and then you suddenly have the attention of your product leader and the management that user research is a good thing. Hey, maybe we should have more. Hey, maybe we should we should have dedicated roles for that. Mm. Hey, maybe we should have a dedicated function. Okay, how can we make this work? How can we get this ball rolling? Right, so change your micro environment. Show that it goes well, and then change your macro environment. If possible, it might not work, but it might work, work right? And Scott, you mentioned something um, a couple of minutes ago, um, maybe 20 minutes ago, something about um, apologizing. And I would say do the opposite. And that's a mistake that I did way too long in my career, in the beginning of, of my career. I waited very long for, for permission to do something instead of 
um, of being proactive and just trying things out. As long as you can, as long as you try things out in a not super risky environment, low hanging fruits, right? Not super risky, but you can show some impact and show that it's a good idea to do it this way, then do it and show it. And now it's me saying like, do it, do it, do it. And then the next person tries and gets fired. I'm sorry for that. This is not, <laughs> I, I hope this is not what, to what, what's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So again, it depends, right? It depends on your yeah. environment. If you're in a very toxic environment and you feel like it's dangerous to do that, then don't do it, obviously, right? <laughs> so be careful with this advice. If, if you feel like you can do these small things, then do these small things. If you cannot, then... It's again your decision. Either you 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 go get get your paycheck and go go home, um, or you leave and find a different environment where you feel uh, better. Also, yeah. anecdote and learning for for me, right? So, um, as a fish, find your water. If that's the wrong water, then find a different sea. Oh, I like that. The uh, what I was about to say is, you know, there's no risk-free path. Like if you yeah. just take your money and go home. You're you're risking one day. You're just going to get a call, and you know, you know what? You're not really that useful to us. Yeah, uh, if you're con- pushing really hard on everything, there's you might you know just really personally irritate the wrong person. And so, for me personally, my principle was if I I just want to check myself that my motives are what they should be. I'm really trying to do my best for the company, and then um, then then I'll just sort of pay the price for what those consequences are, and it, it never really worked out too. I mean, I don't know, I don't rec- I don't recall anything really bad happening, but you know, you get in some sticky situations. But that's I think I think what attracts a lot of product managers is it's it's fun and exciting, and you're on the leading edge of thing, and and you make a difference. And so, I think for anybody that's really cut out to be a product manager, they're not going to be too afraid of. Uh, I think they're going to be more like your personality booster, where they're going to be a little more, they're, they're, they're going to be a little more aggressive. And I do want to, I do want to cover one more topic before we, before we close up here. You mentioned that a few years ago, you made the, you pivoted from, you know, being a product manager within a corporation to being a solopreneur, if you use that. And now you're, you're teaching and you're coaching. And if, if you could go back three years and give yourself advice of being a solopreneur, what would you tell yourself uh, three years ago? Just do it. (laughs) (laughs) So um, context. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Decisions without context are are bad, right? So let (laughs) let me me give give you decision, uh, uh, sorry, context, not the decision. decision Um, I have studied industrial engineering and management. with the majors of software engineering, marketing and innovation, and um, quality management. Perfect for becoming a product manager. During my studies, I had a couple of attempts of, of building something on my own with with some, some um, um, uh, colleagues. And we stopped. We, we, like whenever whenever I had an attempt, I stopped. And back then, I was also thinking, like, if there was something that was in my skill set that I could um, be self-employed with with this skill set, whatever it is, it would be great. But I I have nothing in my skill set to do so. So this this um, wish of of being self-employed was always there. Um, 
it was my mind and my fears that always stopped me from from taking risks. After being, when was that? Um, two thousand fifteen. So after four years on the market working, I had two um offers to be a CPO of a of a startup, and I rejected both because I said I feel I'm not ready for it. That's a limiting belief. I was ready for it. I was just afraid of it. <clears throat> um, then here, there was another, here in Switzerland, um, there was another chance to be a head of product of a startup. And I said, I'm not ready for it. Although I know my shit, I said, I'm not ready for it. So my advice to my youngest self, not only three years ago, but like really times back, just do it. And now three years ago, what made me actually take the step? Um, I was very, very happy at Google. Uh, so it was a great team, great product. Um, yeah, we were we were having some some organizational changes um, that I'm changes passed by, right? There was, I had my reasons to quit, let's put it this way. But the main reason was not a push to, to leave the company, but a pull to um, chase an idea. And I was I was thinking, look, I'm, I'm turning 40 soon and now or never, right? So I will, um, and that's also how I, how I left the company, uh, telling the CEO, look, um, I'm at a point where I'm indecisive, but I will do that because if I don't do it now, I will regret it. Um, and we're both like, hey, whenever you feel like, right, then, then come back. Um, and I was promoted to a product leader um, at Doodle as well, way too late <laughs> um, in, in general or all over my career not in, in Doodle terms. Um, I was chasing an idea. I wanted to build a digital product and I stopped at a point where I validated the problem. I validated the solution and I noticed I need investors. Like even the smallest solution would need investors. It's something that now with GPT-4 would be such an easy thing to build <laughs> with a no-code tool. Like really that. But just three years ago, it was not possible to build it. I would have needed like engineers to really build the logic that I needed and that would need funding. And I said, I don't want to work with in investors. Um, and I stopped. And then I kind of, you know, got from one project to another, interim product management, interim product leadership, um, coaching, advising, consulting, like, all of these things. At the same time, then I created my my product analytics bootcamp. It's an online um, core-based course together with Henry Latham from Prod MBA. We created this course. So I tried a lot of different things, right? And then I had a year of a baby break. And being fully back to work this, no, it's 2023. So last year, 2022, um, I tried a couple of more things and then I decided what I want to do. 
And so just do it would be my first advice. Second advice would be do your discovery work earlier. Mm. I spent half of this year now to do more discovery on the market side. So I now know what I want to do or what my um, specialities are, where I'm where I'm very good at and what really makes me feel joy. You saw me talking about the Nostar metric is another framework that you can write down, right? <laughs> and so you, you, you saw me um, being excited talking about data stuff, right? And evidence and, and testing and experiments and North Star metric and impact mapping and, and this kind of thing, right? I know where I'm good at. I know what I would love to do. And now it's the market research part, right? And I spent the first half of, of the year for that in order to now come um, back and, and um, have an offer for the market. But it was too late. So... Mm. The second advice would be do your market research early on. And that's also my advice for every company, right? The longer you postpone your discovery, your user research, market research, discovery work, the longer it will take you to create an offer that's going to make boom on the market. Yeah. You don't know who you are creating your product for. And with who, I mean a whole market, which means the target group, user persona, buyer persona, your competition on the field, the substitutes on the field. So like competition is not always direct competition, right? Uh, jobs to be done. What's the substitute, right? <laughs> What's the jobs to be, job to be done? Yeah. Um, but also trends, what is happening, what is changing, where do you see is the world heading five years from now? Do this research early on. And yes, users and customers are part of the research. Yes, talking to real humans and not just asking chat GPT for their yes. view of the world is part of research. Do this early on. When you postpone it, then you will not know who you are creating the offer for. And if, you do, and if you don't know who you're creating the offer for, you cannot create a good offer. It's just not possible. Yeah. So just do it and start research early. Amen. <laughs> Sounds like good advice. Yeah. Sounds like fantastic <laughs> advice. <laughs> All right. Well, we're sort of getting toward the end here. Anything else you'd like to let uh, let folks know about, or anything we should have, like a good qualitative interview? Anything I should have asked you about that I didn't? Oh, I'm always <laughs> open to the um, questions you guys have. So I'm fine. Maybe you should have asked me like how I'm doing, so I, I could uh, ask you how you are doing, guys. Huh? Well, maybe we'll just. How are you to... doing, guys? Well, <laughs> How's doing... the weather? Well, maybe we'll have to do this again because you've inspired just a lot. We went through all these, all these. There's, you you asked, you mentioned lots of things that I'd love to ask more about. So maybe, maybe we can twist your arm, get you back on here, uh, at some point. Episode two, right? Episode yeah, two. Episode, episode two. two. All oh, right. I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Just saying. Oh well, yeah. even even of the prequels. Okay, let's just talk Star Wars. What's 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 the best movie? What's the worst one? Did you like the la the later the last three? <laughs> uh, 
Um, I love episode four. That's the classic one. Like yeah. The very, yep. very first one that came right. out. Um, I hated um, seven. Yeah. I hated seven. It was just yeah. like so not Star Wars at all. Agreed. And I was like, Agreed. seriously, no. Yeah, <laughs> seven, eight, nine were all squirrely, but my my kids, I've got two girls, they love the porgs. They hate. Uh, we, we don't like the movie, but they we're big fans of the porgs. But yeah, four, five, six. I think five's the best, personally. But yeah, eight is not too bad. Eight has some some sort of the okay. magic of the original ones. Um, yeah. it, it's not too bad, so it's, it, it is quite okay. Um, I just don't like that it it still has this like um yeah. Disney feeling. <laughs> yeah. Why would at it have point, a Disney was, feeling? <laughs> well, why yeah. at all, right? Yeah. I was at some point um, expecting somebody to start dancing and singing, you know. Like, <laughs> seriously. But still, eight was eight was quite okay. Yeah. Like from the new ones, eight was well, quite okay. Yeah. But four, four is still my four is good. Not, nothing four is good. four. I'm old enough that when four, I remember when four was the only one. I think I'd be the only one on this call that would remember that. But anyway, that was good. That In was this call, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All oh, right. I, I, I remember the, the, the first ones before the second batch came out. I, I was old enough for that. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, me too. Me you're not, too. You're not, la not alone. <laughs> no, that I remember too. Like the first batch before the second batch came. Yeah. yeah I'm that old as well. All right. Well, very good. Almost, well, well Bushra, I love so many things about what we talked about today. Uh, nuance, the importance of nuance and sort of a side little thing. I remember being in elementary school, like in social studies, they would say, well, this people that lived here, they all liked this. And I'd be I remember as a little kid thinking they all liked it. And, you know, so I've sort of had this also this. uh this visceral reaction to these generalizations. But anyway, so I loved your take on nuance and the importance of balance in product management. You clearly know your stuff as a very, is a very long list of, of frameworks. Um, but also I really appreciated how you put them in perspective and you go back to first principles. What is this tool for? Uh, you're, you're obvious, you're clearly a continuous learner. And I think the best, the best product managers uh, are, and I, I got to say, I love the no BS approach. It's not just something you say. It's right there in your materials. I mean, after all, you're the bad girl of product management. So, so that's good. <laughs> but hey, thanks so much for spending time with us. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It was a really fun conversation with you guys. Thank you. Cool. Well, Thank you. We'd love to do it again. And that, friends. Episode two. I'm saying. Episode two. two. Episode two. Episode two. The sequel. Okay. <laughs> and that friends let's concludes... do the German way episode two I think that's what's yeah, that yeah, yeah. that's the German less... way yeah what does that mean oh that's two. just German this, this is two? how German yeah oh. one two so this is how German spent one two three yeah four five that so makes more sense two. in a way because that's your first but as you I'm sure you know we I don't know America's one two three you know maybe we'll just one two I'll do it and I learned I think in, um British it's this what? You have to be careful which one you you suggest is number one. That <laughs> yes. much. Don't, don't, don't be careful which middle. one you All start with. Yeah. I, I think in Greece, I think in Greece second, it's the other way around. But if, Greece, right? oh, if you okay. start from with the, the wrong author, digit, right? that can really get that can really confuse this yeah. conversation that we're talking about. Yeah. 
All right, people, that concludes today's Product Quest podcast. Follow us on link. Oh, wait, let me back up a second. Let's talk about where to find Boucher. I for- almost forgot. Um, yeah. On on Twitter, or at least formally somewhat, underline <laughs> B-E-E-S-E-A underline, which is the only place that still says the bad girl product management as of today anyway, or on, or on LinkedIn, I guess it's technically, uh, well, B-U-S-R-A space C-O-S-K-U-N-E-R. Uh, or on our website, uh, bushra.co. That's B-U-S-R-A dot C-O. Sorry, I almost forgot that. And with that, thanks, folks, for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for having me. It's always a good sign if I have a lot of research to do, and I've got all this scribbled down my page. So, too. Let's do it. So, too. <laughs> <laughs>